This episode is brought to you by Intelligent Change and their five-minute journal. I have been using the five-minute journal for, I think, I don't know, since 2019 maybe. I tell everybody about it. It's a great way to get your gratitude in, to reflect on your day. You do a couple minutes in the morning, maybe like two minutes, a couple minutes at night, maybe like two minutes. I think it actually maybe comes down to less than five minutes. But I actually keep my five-minute journal in the kitchen. So when I am like getting the girls breakfast ready, then they start eating, I jot down my five minutes. Then after they go to bed, after I wash the dishes, I finish up my five-minute journal. I really love using it. I feel like it's helped me to kind of be on the lookout for more things to be grateful for. When we train our brain to look for things that we are grateful for, it'll start to do that. And I feel like since I started using the five-minute journal, I just have been a little happier, a little more joyful, a little lighter. And that's because gratitude really helps with that. And the five-minute journal process helps you to generate more gratitude. So you, there is a link in the show notes and you can use code MWELL10 to get 10% off of your own five-minute journal. They have all different colors. The front is this really beautiful gold writing on some of them, black on others, but I really do love this journal. Oh, one of my other favorite things about the journal is that it's not dated. So say you forget to do it a couple of days. That's okay. You can always come back to it. So head to the show notes, click the link, and you get uh, 10% off with code MWELL10. Hey, I'm Ashley Machado, a counselor and mental health consultant, and this is MWELL the podcast. This tool has been so helpful for me. I know you can do this. It's taken my business to the next level. Okay, let's do our breathing exercise. Getting an understanding from both perspectives. I'm happy we're here together. Hello everyone. During this episode, you're going to learn how embracing imperfection can propel you forward in life and business, three ways to embrace the imperfection, and three books that I recommend to people who struggle with perfectionism. We are a couple of weeks into the new year. And while I don't believe that you need the new year to have a new and fresh start, I do know a lot of people love to use the new year as a place to start some new habits, try some new things. We are in the middle of a series of episodes that build on top of each other to get you ready and in the right mindset for this year in 2024. We've already done vision boarding, goal setting, and now we're on letting go of perfection. Then next week, we'll go over habits and then time management. And lastly, we'll go over motivation. Each week, we'll leave you with some homework to try and get done before the following episode. And in the show notes, there's a link to sign up for the email list where you can get a show guide for each episode. We're diving into the liberating journey of letting go of perfectionism and discovering how imperfection can actually propel us forward. I lean on the side of trying to be perfect Maybe it's a little bit of my ADHD, maybe it's my Enneagram 3, or maybe it's just a learned behavior from growing up 
Most likely it's a combo of all three of those things, but I've put a lot of work in therapy and journaling and meditation to know that when something doesn't turn out perfect, it's not the end of the world and everything will be okay. I've really learned to not let perfection be the enemy of progress. So I'm going to tell you a little story I like to call the rollerblades and the cake batter. So a couple of weeks ago, the girls and I were on Christmas break. I got walking pneumonia. I have no idea where it came from. I didn't have a runny nose. Like I just kind of felt tired and had this cough that wouldn't go away. Then I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you got walking pneumonia. So, I mean, that answered that question, but I was feeling some mom guilt because I had all these fun things planned to do during break. We really only ended up doing two of the activities and then they watched TV the rest of the time and ate a lot of chicken nuggets. I felt a lot of guilt for that while we were on break. It also happened to be Manny's birthday smack dab in the middle of me being sick and Christmas break. So if you know my husband, and if you don't, I'm going to let you know right now, this guy loves food and a fudgy cake. So every year on his birthday, I like to go all out for him, decorate the house. He gets to pick what we have at every meal and at home I make everything. It's a thing. I love birthdays. I also he lives in a house full of girls and is very go with the flow. So it's a way for me to say, Hey, I love you. And today is all about you. Along with all the meals, Manny always requests a fudgy chocolate cake. It is his favorite sweet. And he doesn't really love sweets, but he loves a fudgy chocolate cake. So I'm like, yeah, I'll make you this cake. We're talking ganache. That's Manny's kryptonite. And the night before his birthday, I'm like really sick. And Manny's like, Ash, you don't have to do the whole birthday thing. Just rest, get better. But you know, when someone tells me not to do something, I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can absolutely do this. I got this. Have have you guys been there before? I mean, I know someone tells you, no, it's, you don't have to. I'm like, yeah, no, I have to now. I have to. (laughs) So the next morning I wake up, I'm like, okay, it's Manny's birthday. I'm going to clean. I'm going to make all the food. I'm going to do all the things. Even though I've been in the same pajamas for two days and hadn't washed my hair in I don't know how long, I'm feeling like my gas tank is full. However, instead of running off of actual energy, I'm running on the idea of a perfect birthday, two days worth of antibiotics, steroid, and an inhaler. Like, what could go wrong, guys? So I walk downstairs and I start to pick up the house, manage to piece together a very simple breakfast for the girls and me and realize, wow, I'm actually kind of really tired and I can't actually pick up the atomic bomb that has went off in our house by myself. I'm actually just going to leave this for tomorrow because I'm exhausted. Then I turn the cartoons on and fall asleep on the couch. And around lunchtime comes around, I put together something that resembled lunch and fell back asleep. Well, I woke up and 3.30 comes around. I'm like, okay, if I am going to make Sloppy Joe's for dinner, that's what Manny had like requested a couple of weeks before, and this cake, I have got to get started. My mom gill also starts to creep in. I'm like, wow, okay, my kids have watched cartoons all day. I've turned their brains into scrambled eggs. I better turn that off. 
So the TV's off. The girls head to the playroom. I'm trying to be quiet because I know if I make noise, they're going to come in to the kitchen and try and, air quotes, help. If you know, you know. Well, we all know that kids hear everything, and so they come in. And imagine my surprise when they don't actually come in walking to the kitchen. They come in rollerblading. Well, not rollerblading, roller skating. They've got their helmets on, their knee pads on, their wrist guards, their elbow pads. It looks like they're right out of the Disney movie Brink. But right now their roller skating skills are that of a giraffe learning to walk. They're pretty wobbly rather than like those teens racing down the mountain. So I have got the flour out, the cocoa powder, the sugar. They know that cake is on their horizon. And all I hear is, mom, can I help? Mom, can I help? Mom, can I help? Elvie has gotten the dining chair, pushed it over to the island while using it to help stable her. Olive is racing around the island, holding onto the island so she doesn't fall. And every time she passes you, you have to back away because she can't let go of the island without falling over. And I don't really have the heart or the energy to tell them to take their skates off. I'm like, okay, how bad could this actually be? So things are going okay. We've managed to get all the ingredients for the cake in the batter. It's time to use the hand blender. Olive's still skating around the counter. Elvie's standing on the dining room chair up against the counter in her skates. And we start the mixing process. Midway through, I have to go check on Olive because she's ran into the counter. She's crying. So I turn off the mixer, set it on the counter. I'm like, Elvie, okay, you don't, don't touch this. Just leave it for mama till I get back. And while I'm checking on all of Elfie actually decides, mom, that's not a great idea. What would be a better idea is if I turn the hand mixer on and mix this myself. So she decides to turn on the hand mixer. And instead of pointing it in the bowl to mix the batter, she points it straight up to the ceiling. The frosting is flying and flinging everywhere, all over the counter, all over all of the cabinets in the kitchen. It's on one side of the kitchen and on the other side of the kitchen. I'm running over there to turn them off because she's not really understanding what's happening. Then she looks at me and points the mixer at me. And now I'm covered in chocolate cake batter. I'm shocked. Olive's cracking up laughing at me so hard that she now has to skate to the bathroom so she doesn't pee her pants. I put on my fake calm mom voice like, I'm okay, it's okay, we're okay, it's okay. Just clean this all up, it'll be fine, I'm fine. Let me just wipe this off my face. Inside I'm like dying a little bit because now the mess is even bigger. I'm covered in chocolate cake batter and we're only on step one. We've only got the cake halfway mixed. How am I going to make sloppy joes and frosting? Olive comes rollerblading back from the bathroom. She's still laughing and she's using the counter to keep her stable. She then slips in the frosting that's on the floor, grabs onto the nearest thing to help her from falling, which happened to be the bowl full of cake batter. And now Olive is laid out on the floor. The whole bowl of cake batter is now splattered everywhere. I'm shook, shocked. How did this happen? The girls are so happy though and rushing to eat the cake batter off the floor before I could clean it up. I lick over and they are cracking up, giggling, sitting next to the cake batter. They've got spoons and they're eating it off of the floor. And what started out me trying to create the perfect birthday for Manny ended up being the exact opposite. 
but it was the most joyful afternoon for the girls. It made space for us to create memories and joy. And years ago, I would have felt irritated or upset, but this day I just sat on the floor next to the girls while they had a couple bites of cake batter and we all were just covered in cake batter laughing. This whole situation, this idea of perfectionism, trying to be perfect, trying to create the perfect event or the perfect memory or have the perfect experience or make sure your work's perfect reminds me of this quote that I heard a mentor say. He says, perfectionism isn't the need to be perfect. It's actually the act of avoiding imperfection. Perfectionism is the relentless pursuit of flawless It often stands as both a driving force and a barrier to progress. We think, I can't handle if things aren't perfect. I won't be able to handle it if this experience isn't perfect. I don't know what I'll do if my work isn't perfect. I can't handle this. But the truth is we can handle it. And even though this perfectionism trait is deeply ingrained in our culture and often praised for its association with high standards, the downside can be paralyzing, hindering creativity and stunting personal growth. Brene Brown, who studies shame and vulnerability, says, perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be your best. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. Brown's insight eliminates the darker side of perfectionism, highlighting how it stems from a fear of failure and rejection. Studies have shown that perfectionists often experience higher levels of stress, anxiety, and depression due to the constant pressure they place on themselves and their need for control. Dr. Thomas Curran, a psychologist and researcher, describes this phenomenon. He says perfectionism is a self-defeating and endless pursuit of high standards in the absence of them being attainable. Our society glorifies the finished product, often neglecting the messy cake batter on the ground experience. We neglect the trial and error process that is actually behind true success. However, the truth is there's a ton of beauty in imperfection. Embracing imperfection allows us to cultivate self-compassion and resilience. It opens doors to innovation, creativity, and growth. A study published in the Journal of Applied Psychology found that employees in workplaces that fostered a culture of psychological safety where imperfection was accepted showed higher levels of engagement and creativity. These employees wanted to be at work because they understood the message that mistakes happen sometimes, or sometimes things don't go the way we want. And how can we learn from these experiences? So how can we start this journey of embracing imperfection? I have three practical tips for you. First, self-compassion. Practice self-compassion by treating yourself with kindness and understanding, especially in moments of perceived failure, understanding that we're all human and nobody is perfect. We're just doing the best we can with the tools that we have in that moment. Next, set realistic goals. Set achievable goals rather than aiming for unattainable perfection. We went over goal setting in the previous episode, so if you would like some help on how to set those goals, then go give that a listen. Embrace mistakes. Mistakes are the opportunity for growth and learning. Mistakes are at the end 
Unmet goals aren't the end and things not going the way you pictured in your head isn't the end. Remember that innovation, your goals and your desired outcomes come from trial and error. Mistakes are one of the most valuable things you can make. And it's very, very hard to learn from perfectionism. Okay, I have three books that I really love for perfectionism. One is The Imposter Cure by Dr. Jesse May. Two is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And three is How to Manage Perfectionism, Driven Anxiety, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy by Dr. Clarissa W. Wong and Dr. Michael Twong. All in all, remember the pursuit of perfection often hinders progress and well-being. Embracing imperfection allows us to flourish by learning and taking risks. It helps us to foster resilience, creativity, and genuine connections. Be on the lookout for your cake-on-the-ground moments and let them teach you a little something. Because perfection is an illusion, but growth through imperfection is real. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this listen. Have a great day, and I'm happy we're here together. If this podcast helped you or anyone you know in any way, it would mean so much to us if you could follow or subscribe to the MWell podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can do that by going to the main page of the podcast and hitting the plus or follow button. You could also leave a five-star review if you wanted, or even share this episode with a friend. It would really mean so much to us. Also, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I'm happy we're here together. Let's do our breathing exercise. If you're driving, you can do this with your eyes open, hand on the steering wheel, or pull over. If you're not driving, you can close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. Now breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And repeat after me. I am brave. I am strong, I am kind, I am smart, I am beautiful, I can do hard things. Now breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth.